Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast. This podcast is hosted by thought leaders and experts. They have all been handpicked and invited to contribute because of their knowledge and valuable insight within the areas of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle. Whether you're starting a business, looking for personal growth, or if you're just here to learn something new, you will get actionable advice from world-class award-winning coaches, experts, and industry leaders from over 50 countries across six continents. If you like what you hear, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. You can also visit us at brainsmagazine.com for quality articles, interviews, and daily inspiration. With that said, let's welcome today's podcast host. Welcome to the Inspiration Contagion podcast, where we spread inspiration one story at a time. I am your host, Holly Jean Jackson. Each episode spotlights and interviews one transformational leader, their stories, and their advice for how you too can lead yourself and others through inspiration. If you are a visionary seeking to uplevel your leadership skills, then this is the podcast for you. I invite you today to spread inspiration like a contagion. Welcome to the Inspiration Contagion Movement. Did you know that Inspiration Contagion has a book series? In fact, the first book, Health Secrets for Raving Success, is now live. You can purchase it on Amazon, and soon it will be available on Audible. If you're looking to spread more inspiration and to learn more about how to thrive from a health foundation for success, I would love for you to consider purchasing a copy. And if you're trying to pay it forward, perhaps you could gift a copy to someone who has some health struggles or challenges facing them today. Again, feel free to purchase that from Amazon or visit my website at hollyjeanjackson.com. Welcome to episode 67 of Inspiration Contagion. This week's guest is Crystal Ricevuto. She is the Senior Director of Partnerships at Levitate. Since graduating with her law degree from Wake Forest University, Crystal's career has included a wide range of experiences bringing technology solutions to the market. In her role as Senior Director of Partnerships for Levitate, Crystal brings her unique background to shape not only partnership opportunities, but she leads the company's culture crew, which strives to raise social awareness internally, create an environment of inclusivity, and make an impact on local small businesses. Crystal also raises chickens and lives with her dog, Bay, in Raleigh, North Carolina. With that, welcome, Crystal. Hey, Holly. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And with that, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about your background, just a little bit more juicy information for our users here today. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. So like you said, I went to law school. I certainly do not practice. I chose to have a more meaningful life and I didn't think that law was going to take me there. And I somehow wound up in technology. I've been doing that for almost 
10 years now. I'm aging myself. It moved me out to Colorado from Raleigh, back to Raleigh, and I'm very happy at Levitate. We are a small business, but it was founded by uh, the CEO of ShareFile, which was bought out by Citrix, so big Raleigh following there. He started a new small business and brought along some people that he liked into, into the new space. And yeah, we're really just trying to create magic with what we do. I am currently fostering three puppies at my house. So things are a little hectic and crazy. I kind of always keep myself very busy and active with all sorts of things that keep me from sleeping. But yeah, that's pretty much my life. I love it. I too have had a windy path. I considered going to law school and did an internship in Washington, D.C., decided that also was not the right path for me. And interestingly enough, I also ended up in technology in my corporate experience for a number of years, also aging myself a little bit, but hey, it's just a number. And we clearly have a lot of energy, probably more than most people in their 20s. So winning, Crystal. (laughs) Yes, we are. (laughs) Yeah. So what I love to ask people most on this podcast is what makes you an inspirational leader or what's your secret sauce? Oh, my secret sauce. I don't know. Are you familiar with Enneagrams? I am. Yes. Oh, so I am a very hard Enneagram seven. I am to the core a seven, which for anyone that doesn't know what an Enneagram seven is, that's the enthusiast. So I just love to be constantly on the move. I'm always afraid of being bored. I'm trying to tackle new things. I bring a lot of energetic positivity to things. And I think that is why I am so involved with our culture crew at Levitate. I think my natural abilities to get people excited and involved and want to help and contribute really makes uh, it a natural fit for what we do with the culture crew. I love it. Yes. I do not recall what my Enneagram is and this keeps coming up. So I need to retest my Enneagram, but I can definitely tell that Crystal is super enthusiastic and that is part of her secret sauce and her magic at Levitate. So I want to ask you, what does inspiration mean to you? Oh, inspiration comes in all sorts of different forms. I think inspiration is really the things that motivate people and what gets them out of bed. And I think that without inspiration, your life just kind of becomes boring, right? So COVID, everyone kind of got stuck in the doldrums because there weren't things to do and you couldn't really be involved. You couldn't leave the house, make friends. You, you know, a lot of people's love life suffered. A lot of things happened and without inspiration and that motivation to make yourself better, to make the people around you and make the world around you better. um, I think it's something that really would, would de-energize you as much as having inspiration energizes you. Yeah. Well, and I imagine with your secret sauce and your Enneagram of enthusiasm that it's it was probably difficult for you to see people struggling during this time and the fact that inspiration was kind of on a downward spiral for a lot of people. So um, how did you navigate that personally yeah. and professionally? Absolutely. The pandemic was the absolute nightmare for a seven. There's nothing that could possibly be worse for someone who is an Enneagram seven than being stuck in the house, missing out on life, missing out on travel, missing out on adventure. So yeah, it was really, really tough. And I think we all dealt with it. I certainly 
started going to therapy a little more often. I maybe increased my dose of Lexapro. I think talking about mental health is really important. And I love to tell people that, yes, I see a therapist. Yes, I take anti-anxiety drugs because they help me and they really make me feel better. And I think people should be more actively open and talking about those things because it is really normal and we need to normalize it. So as you know, in uh, May, we are focusing on mental health awareness here at work. And it's something that I feel really passionate about. Our employees feel really passionate about. We're doing a lot of different things to make it an open topic for everyone because we work in a very stressful environment. Burnout risk is really, really there. Yeah, I, I yeah, drugs helped me a lot <laughs> in the pandemic. I also, you know, I, I I try to find new things because, like, I, I'm a seven, so I need to busy myself. So I mastered baking bagels. I was like, oh, not only am I going to make bagels, I'm going to master it. I'm going to make the best everything bagel you have ever had. I started speaking French, so I started taking French lessons. I taught myself how to uh, solve a Rubik's cube. So I just kept creating these artificial activities for myself to keep myself and my brain busy. I'm just kind of giggling in the background here because the way you describe yourself is like the same way that I am and the complete transparency for people that are listening. Yes, this was a difficult period to navigate and there is absolutely nothing wrong with if you're looking for somebody in the therapy space, the mental health space, or needing even medication to support the chemistry in your brain. Even though, even for me, this has been a very difficult time. And I have also had a therapist throughout certain set, certain times during the pandemic, as well as working with a life coach, which in some ways is similar to therapy and kind of unwinding what needs to be unwound and having those new insights. So for those of you that are listening and you're feeling those challenges, you are not alone. I'm going to pivot slightly here and I'd love to ask you, you know, how do you define success for yourself and how did you arrive at this definition? Oh, that's such a good question. I think success for me is ever evolving. It changes what I think of as success. When I was young and I was going to law school, I had this image of success and I was going to live in New York City and have fancy designer suits and live in a penthouse and just be super wealthy and work really hard because that was okay. I just thought that's what success was. And when I was in law school and frankly faced burnout, I decided, you know what? No, I don't find joy in what it is I'm doing. And I kind of had to reevaluate what was important to me, which is why I still, you know, I still took the bar exam. I still made myself get through it, but I, I knew that that was not going to be what success was for me. So I did some soul seeking and found myself looking for a job that I just thought was going to make me happy. And that's how I landed in my new job. And that role just continued to pivot and change. And People always appreciated my positivity. They appreciated that I was outgoing and I always embraced networking. I love meeting new people, new faces, making introductions to people, and it really just helped my career. So today I manage a few people and success to me is getting those people to a place in their career where they're happy and they feel like they are getting exactly what they want because I'm very happy in my personal 
career. I make enough money that I have a nice house that makes me happy. I get a lot of joy out of doing DIY projects. These are the things I looked forward to in life. I have a dog that adores me and I adore her. Uh, That's really all I need. I'm very content where I am. And so helping others around me thrive and hit their goals is, is my measurement of success. Hmm, I love that. Yeah. And I, I do think that once we're in that steady state of security and having the things we need and we're happy that the best definition that I hear repeatedly on the podcast is really paying it forward in one way or another, whether that's with the people that work um, on our teams or it's creating a movement or all kinds of other inspiring things. But we all know that on the way to defining happiness or success, there are typically challenges and obstacles. So what were some of those key challenges or obstacles that you faced along the way of your journey to success? Oh man, I mean, like you said, my my career journey was such a wild, wildy turning thing where things just changed all the time. I moved across the country, I moved back, I changed positions, I applied for jobs I didn't get. There were a lot of ups and downs with, I I got this job that I thought was my dream job. And it turned out that that was absolutely not what I was looking for. I moved into a position where I thought I was going to have so much power and was going to be able to help all of these people. And it turned out that wasn't the case. And so I had to move direction. So really expectations are not always aligned with reality. And I think you have to constantly step back and reassess, is this what I'm looking for? And also just seizing opportunities. I've never said no to a good opportunity when it showed its face. And that would be my best advice to anyone. Beautiful words of wisdom. Never say no to a great opportunity. And obviously only each of us as individuals know what that looks like for us, but that also requires some contemplation of what makes us happy, what makes us feel successful. And that requires us kind of stepping back and really looking at things, which hopefully a lot of people have done over the last two years. So you've already shared a little, a few stories of inspiration, but is there a particular story of inspiration that you're known for? Well, right now I'm bringing puppies into the office because morale shoots through the roof when you bring adorable eight-week puppies into the office and these fluffy little things. People are absolutely loving being interrupted in their workday to be able to hang out with a puppy. But really, everyone knows that I run the culture crew with a team of amazing individuals that are really dedicated to enriching the employee experience. We do a lot of charitable uh, charitable acts and really supporting the local community. So this past year, the amount of different things that we did were insane. I mean, we were really embracing culture in just so many very different ways. We have an installation of an art gallery. So we have rotating art. 311 Gallery supports us and they bring in new art so that people have different things to look at. And we're trying to inspire different conversations. We've had tea time with one of our tea experts that are in-house. It's just something he's passionate about and wanted to share that with others. So we've organized that. We recognize all sorts of different cultural events like Black History Month, Latinx Heritage Month. We order lunch every single day for all of our employees, kind of a work park. But it's important to us that we're not ordering dominoes for people that we are supporting local businesses, small businesses where ordering lunch for 60, 80, 100 people really makes an impact on their bottom line for the month, their month. We've done 
small business pop-ups where we bring people in kind of like, uh, you know, when there's like Saturday markets, but it's specifically for our employees. And we're really cultivating that environment of supporting these small businesses. We give everybody love bucks or a little monopoly money, $25. We're like, go spend this and spend more money and really be actively involved in the community. Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. And actually, ironically enough, for people that are like regular listeners, I uh, interviewed Kenneth, who is one of the co-runners, co-owners at 311 Art Gallery, who is actually how Crystal and I met. So what an amazing connector. You two are both amazing at connecting people with the community. And I love what Levitate is building around local community. And as a small business owner and who's somebody who coaches a lot of small business owners locally and nationally, it has never been more important to support local. Uh, We have the big, you know, Amazons of the world and these other big companies. And sure, there are great things that they do, but there's also this struggle for small business owners to compete with a lot of the larger players. So it's wonderful that you guys are doing that with Culture Crew. Thanks. Yeah, it's really important to us. We love being actively engaged with the small business owners. That's what our company's mission statement is to help small businesses and how better than to do it where we're planted. Absolutely. Yeah. Plant those seeds and walk the talk of what your vision and your mission is, which a lot of businesses and companies don't do. So it's great that you guys are actually walking that talk. So Crystal identified as lots of different leadership types, but primarily heart-centered leadership. So I wanted to ask you, what does heart-centered leadership mean to you? I think I really embrace a leadership style of people first. I want to make sure that I fully understand who my colleagues are at their core, not necessarily who they are as the person in operations, the person in sales, but really who is this person? What are they value? What's important to them? And really trying to draw upon that to make connections and also to help them in their careers and their daily lives. It's always nice when you can connect with people based on shared values. And that's really just the utmost important thing for me. I when I started managing my direct reports, I asked them to take the Enneagram because I do, I, I love it so much. And I, I wanted them to understand who I was at the core. I think that knowing I'm going to be really scattered as your manager and I appreciate how organized you guys are. It's really helpful to me. And I want to know what's important to you. And if you are the type of person that needs a lot of encouragement and verbal words of affirmation, I would love to give that to you. I want to be giving, giving the love languages in the way that you want it and and receiving it in the ways that help me. And I think that we're a data-driven company and numbers are so important to us. But I think despite the numbers, there's always that human element that's super important to me, leading with empathy, making sure that people are all in the same boat. We understand the why of what it is that we're doing. And we work together, you know, to hit our common, our common goals, uh, to be successful. Yeah. So that was, those are some good ninja tips for managing a team and connecting with the team from a very empathetic heart centered approach, but there's also science behind it. So whether it's using Enneagram or other things for evaluation, all of these tools, what they do is they teach us more about 
each person and their personality, their character type. But what's also really interesting, and I've never really thought about connecting this, but using love languages in the workplace so that people feel appreciated. And what's fascinating to me about that is I recently read Big Potential by Sean Acker, and he talks about the science. I think his wife did some of this research as well of people staying in workplaces really because of appreciation, meaning that, for example, if, if Crystal on her team, she has somebody new at the company that starts and she says, you know, two encouraging things, two things appreciative of somebody on her team in that first quarter, that new hire is highly likely to stay on board. Like, in fact, it's like 95 to 99%. And then if you continue that throughout the life cycle of an employee being there longer, when you have these quarterly appreciation moments over time, this is what keeps employees happy and helps them feel really appreciated and connected to a culture and an organization. And so it's really interesting and it makes total sense as a heart-centered leader that you would look at people's characteristics, their values, and their love languages for communicating with them in a way that works for them. Yeah. Showing gratitude, I think, is so important in a workplace, especially we work with a lot of Gen, gen uh, Zers that really need that kind of affirmation. And they, they want to know that they are contributing to the greater good. We, we use a system called 15-5. It's a weekly check-in with your managers. And they have these high fives. That is basically a shout out that you can give to anyone in the organization for doing something special, for creating magic, for going above and beyond, for helping you out. And I always make a point to give at least a few high fives to people every week because, yeah, you're just practicing gratitude, which helps you be happier and more content as a person as well. Well, there's also the science behind when we express gratitude to others, we actually get more of a hit from even just getting gratitude. So there's also this uh, momentum behind gratitude when we express that. I did want to ask you kind of a separate question. I love how you mentioned creating magic. So tell us, what does that mean as a heart-centered leader at Levitate, creating magic? So creating magic is actually one of our core values. It's one of my favorite core values. And it, so our, our company name is Levitate and the actual company name, it's not so secret. Our legal name is Real Magic. Our CEO is a magician. He loves magic and there's a quote, and I cannot remember who it was, where any technology uh, that is reasonably uh, advanced should should be, uh, oh, I'm really messing up this quote. It should be basically the same thing as magic. Not, you know, not the same thing. It should appear as if it is magic, if it is good technology. And I've completely butchered that. But it's really important for us to always be making these above and beyond type of experiences both internally with our employees, for our customers, when things are just, wow, this is amazing. That's an example of customer magic. And we love to share any type of experience that we have with an individual, let everyone know, because little bits of magic 
really inspire everybody. The sales team isn't necessarily on the end of the implementation side where people are getting great reviews and loving what they're doing. So sharing that so that people have that common purpose of the sales team's not just selling a product, they're selling something that's magical, that's making an impact on these small business owners' lives is really important to us. And creating magic can also be what we do for the community, right? So people love that. The the amount of joy that you see on people's faces after they've had a bunch of puppies come to the office to play or they walk away from the small business market with a bunch of bottles of hot sauce that they're going to use that night or earrings for their girlfriend. It's just, it's really irreplaceable to see the amount of happiness that that, those small acts can bring. Well, I love that. And I have to say that this whole meeting you and working with Kenneth and you and, and Levitate and Real Magic is pretty serendipitous because my affirmation for this year is I am magic. And I have a, I know, isn't that great? (laughs) And I I have a sign right in front of my fireplace that I bought in Asheville when I moved back here that says you are magic as a reminder. And I agree, especially with my background in technology, the experience we want to create as business owners and leaders and movement leaders is magical for our customers. So, and it's ironic because when I worked in technology, I used to have to be the translator between business and technology and explain to the business that it's it's not magic. Like here's the secret. It's, it's not magic. AI does not just magically put in the information. We actually have to create the questions and the answers and the data sets and the connection points. But the reality is, is that if we aspire to create magic in our customer experiences in the technology, the products, the services that we provide, and we create that special experience that's also driven clearly from the heart with a mission that is really just authentic, like what you're doing at Real Magic, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So as a heart-centered leader, Around what age would you say you started believing in yourself? Oh, believing in myself. I think I, well, I felt really, okay. I felt really good about myself in college. In college, I went to UNC Wilmington, which is not necessarily Ivy League. It's a good school, but let's be real. I spent a lot of time at the beach and I spent a lot of time at the bar and I still managed to get really great grades. I got, I double majored. I took the LSATs. I did really good and I was very high on myself. And then I went to law school, which was a completely new ball game. I went to Wake Forest and I was just amongst the most intelligent people I had ever met. And they were all just completely brilliant. And I got a big slice of humble pie. It was definitely, I wouldn't say traumatic, but it certainly, it certainly uh, changed my perspective on things. And I, I, I felt like I lived in this bubble and I didn't realize I was in this bubble of just really smart people. And I really had a lot of self-doubt at that time. I really was like, I thought I was smart, but apparently I'm not. And it wasn't until I left the bubble that I realized, oh no, I was just surrounded by people who were just so above and beyond and are so smart. And I am smart. I just, maybe not as smart as them and that's okay. <laughs> but I think it took me years after that to kind of recover from not necessarily being 
as great as everyone else or better because for so long you have your parents, you have your teachers, you have all these people telling you that you're absolutely exceptional. And then you have one of those moments or many, many moments for three years where you're like, no, I'm certainly not exceptional. And it took a while before I found my path. And I think once I started really rolling in my career is when I probably started feeling really good about myself. So that was probably later light later start in life because of those three years in law school. <laughs> but I think maybe around uh, 26 started feeling good. But I think 30 is when I absolutely started hitting my stride. And I don't feel like it's necessarily gotten worse. I think every year gets better. I'm not afraid of being as old as I am and be continuing to get old. I like the gray hairs. I think, I think I'm going to rock that Cruella DeVille look one of these days. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it as long as I still feel good and I'm still contributing and living the life that I want to live. Mm, I love that. And this is funny. So I let my grays grow in and you can't see it right now, but it's like super speckled and people will stop and say, Hey, salt and pepper. And I have to do a double take. I'm like, who are you talking to? Because I don't really think about it, but yeah, I think it's funny. And what's really interesting is recently when I was traveling, the driver and tour guide that I had was um, in his early twenties and they thought my hair was super cool and that I dyed it that way. And they wanted their hair to look the same way. And I was like, this is hilarious. Yeah, sure. I dyed it that way. It's great. But I agree your thirties for me, at least as well, each year, I'm just like, this is amazing. Like I'm so much more confident. I know what my superhero skills are, where I shine and what makes me extraordinary. I also have had those humble pie moments as well, where, yeah, I'm not perfect. And I certainly don't know all the things. And, but I think what makes brilliant leaders is when we understand what we're extraordinary at, but we're also ordinary enough that we can also connect with the clients that we're serving with the people on our team. And we can also step back in time and place ourselves in their shoes and truly have that empathy because we've been there. And the disconnect I think is when people become so involved with their ego and let it get to their head too much that we can't really sell to clients because we're so far ahead that they can't even see that we could help them because we can't possibly relate to their experience. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you and I'm shaking my head, but this is a podcast. No one's going to see me shaking my head. <laughs> yeah. So how do you show belief in others as a leader now that you have that belief in yourself? Constant encouragement, talking to people about everyone. I talk to everyone. So I walk through our halls and if I see somebody that I don't know, I stop and I introduce myself. Hey, I don't think we've met. And I think that that's really important is to be amongst people. That's part of why the pandemic was so hard for me. Working remote and meeting everyone on Zoom was really difficult being in the office. I don't come in every day, but when I do, it's so nice to see all of these faces and to meet people and to learn things about them and to sit down and connect with people about certain things that they're interested in. I sat down with a girl today who just showed great interest in being involved with Earth Day and what we're doing for that. And she just generally is really 
really interested in sustainability and what else we can be doing and how we can highlight this to everyone and being able to just sit down and talk about our experiences is really great. And so I think just genuine interest in what other people are interested in is, is the best way for me at least. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. People want to be seen and heard. And oftentimes it takes having those conversations for other people on your team to start seeing their superhero skill set because they think, oh, well, this is just a side hobby or it's something that's important to me personally. But when they get that feedback that, wow, that's a really insightful idea, that's a great idea that we're going to implement with Culture Crew for Earth Day they start to shine and see, Hey, this is pretty extraordinary. Like this is great. And they start to build that confidence over time. Yeah. That's my favorite part about the culture crew. I come in with a skeleton agenda of, okay, well, here are the important dates that are having happening in this month. So April, we've got earth day and May is mental health awareness and June is pride month. And then that's basically it. I open it up to our members and say, what do we have in mind? What do we want to do? And everyone kind of talks. We decide what our favorite things are. And then we work from there. We look three months ahead and every month we meet and talk about, all right, who's executing on these things that are upcoming. And we just self-organize. And I think that's the best way to run these employee-led groups for sure. Yeah. Well, and it's really unique too, that you guys are, if the focus is on culture crew, a lot of companies have these innovation focuses, but what's cool about this is that it's very mission and vision oriented, but it also allows employees to connect and to really dive into creativity in a different way that is sustainable and authentic to what you're doing at Real Magic. So it's kind of a unique slant for people that are listening and they're wondering how to start building a culture at their organization that works. And while this is typically not a question I would ask for heart-centered leaders, since you guys are so focused on culture, what would you say are some of the core tenets and foundational pieces of creating the culture you have at Levitate? So our culture at Levitate, it's hard to, there are so many work perks and work perks are not culture. And I think we are very clear that providing alcohol at four o'clock is a nice perk, but it's certainly not culture and it shouldn't be. Having lunch is a perk. It's certainly not culture, but we want people to constantly be engaged and really encouraging. That's so important to our culture. So we make sure there are channels for recognition Every Monday morning, we have a sales team meeting and people who are performing really well, we have their faces up on the screen. So maybe you've never met that person, but now you recognize their face and you know that they're doing really well. So you might congratulate them later on. So a lot of recognition about who's doing great. And then for people that aren't making sure that they always know, hey, if you're not doing great, there's more training. Let me one-on-one coach you. How can I help? And really being there for them is really important. But then with the culture crew, we're trying to enrich things. Everyone can join the culture crew if they want to be a part of it. But we listen to what people like, what people don't like. Uh, So a survey went out today about the lunches. They're all small businesses, but we know the best people to decide what are we eating are the people who are actually eating it. So we reached out and it's part of our team to say, okay, what's working? What was your favorite? What was your least favorite? What would you like to see more of? And getting constant feedback from people is really important to us. 
Yeah. I love that. And I'm really glad that you made that distinction the of perks versus culture, but also that perks can create the culture experience and the values you're going for of that engagement space of people connecting. And so just putting that out there as examples to people that are still trying to build culture, because I think right now in particular, building culture is challenging because we're coming back possibly to some people being in the office or have a hybrid build for that. And so it's really important to share stories around how people are successfully building culture, especially today. And so I guess one other follow-on question I'd ask you is, given the space that we're in where things could be online or hybrid or in person, has that influenced what you're doing regarding culture at Levitate? Yeah, there's, we do have a hybrid environment for most of our employees. So we do have a lot of people that are fully remote and a lot of people that do choose to come in. And we try to, we, we, we love having people in the office because it is so influential in the culture. Because when you are in these high stress jobs and something great happens, I love when people can give each other a high five or shout. If you're working from home, it's really hard to do that. So we do have avenues where we acknowledge people. Like I said, we have everyone's face up on Monday morning meetings. So you know who they are. We have chat rooms that are constantly going. Every time someone does something great, people are in there and they're throwing out congratulations and emojis and all sorts of things to celebrate each other. But it's definitely hard for those people that work from home. They can engage in some of the cultural activities that we do, especially raising money. You can do that from anywhere. We do matching for donations. We had uh, colon cancer awareness last month. So educational on that. We make sure that everyone has access to these things. Um, so we try to do what we can, but yeah, it's definitely a challenge for us to keep that culture going and the same for everyone. Because when you're working from home and you don't get that live feedback and the camaraderie with people, I think it's really tough to stay engaged and maybe, you know, loyal to where you're working because you can totally, you know, nowadays you can totally make more money somewhere else if they work remotely. And, you know, if you don't care about the culture, you're not going in, you don't have employees, that uh, not employees, but rather colleagues that you love talking to and hanging out with. Yeah. It's really easy to kind of just jump around. So we've seen a lot of that. Yeah. Well, and that's why I think it's really important. The work that you're doing around really knowing the whole person, their values, where they are, understanding how they best receive um, love and acknowledgement so that they feel connected to the organization, to their boss. Because when you look at the research, it's really, if people can feel a strong connection with their supervisor, as well as the vision of the company and how what they're doing affects that, they're more likely to stay, whether they're at home or in person. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my goodness, how do I do this? It's really, you know, listening to what Crystal has been sharing around connecting and doing that heart-centered leadership, and then truly making sure you're making a concerted effort to connect with all of your employees on your team in a way that they receive it best and reminding them of how their work is contributing to the overall goal of the organization. So I was hoping you could also share one story with our listeners on how you lead from the heart. Uh, how I lead from the heart. Let's see. I took my 22-year-old employee to the bar and let her introduce me to, to 22-year-old shots. So I mean, it, you know, I, I try, I'm an unapproachable person. I don't 
put on airs when I'm at the office. I'm not going to be the person that says, well, I'm a director and I need to remove myself from having these human connections with people. That's just not my style. So I try, I make friends with people here. I meet them where they're at. And I think that that's really important to engaging with people and building strong relationships where they trust you and they can come to you when they have issues, if they don't feel comfortable necessarily going to HR or anything, you want to be that person where they're like, this person's going to get things done, but also I can talk to them and feel comfortable with this person. I think that's something that I do well with is being able to keep a clear line between boundaries. I'm not going to you know, go crazy and do keg stands with people, but I can certainly have fun with them and they respect it. So everyone here, it appreciates hard work and people that bring a lot to the table. And I think that that joined with being a personable person that wants to engage with everyone is where we're at. Yeah, no, that's, that's the key. And I think it is a really can be a really difficult skill set for people to master when they're managing a team, but they also want to have that personal connection and relationship. And I remember my first job when I was relatively young managing a team and I went from like overnight doing research assistant work to a director of a team. And the team was, you know, much older than me. So it was a very difficult situation and trying to manage that line of developing authority and respect, but also developing that relationship with them. Because for me, just like you, I'm very heart-centered, very empathetic, and I really care about everyone on my team. Like, even if there's some sort of issue, like I love my team, I really care. And so when I've had mentors in the past say, you know, you can't be friends with their employees, that has never worked for me. I've kind of always had to throw that out the door. Like there are boundaries and there are lines and there are different kinds of situations that you're in that are appropriate for different professional scenarios. But I do think that when you're leading from the heart, you can't avoid having some sort of relationship with the people on your team. Yeah, I completely agree. Being friendly with them is important. It's just very important to me to have a relationship with someone that I know if things are not going well in their personal lives, it's going to affect their work. And I think that's okay. I think as long as I understand, hey, my dog is sick. And so something might be late. That's okay because we have lives. And I completely respect that we all have lives. I have bad days too. And sometimes I tell people I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be out for a couple hours because I need to get myself into the right space to be productive, to do my best work. So if they're afraid to tell me that they're not going to be in the office for a few hours or that, you know, their boyfriend broke up with them, you know, that, that you're in the dark and you don't understand why their work is suffering or what's going on that might be contributing to different things at work. Yeah. Well, and I do think that one of the blessings of this crazy time in life is that there is more acceptance around we are people with lives and there is not this boundary or this black line of work versus personal life. And, you know, people are more accepting now, you know, you'll see a cat come into the screen or a child and, and people are more empathetic than we previously been as a society. And so I think that's great. That's moving in the right direction. 
yeah, early pandemic, remember that kid with a newscaster and it was this crazy viral thing. And now that happens every day where we've got kids running around the background, there's toys everywhere, dogs are barking. It's to be expected. And I do think that that's definitely a right a step in the right direction where some days we don't wear makeup to be on webcams. It's okay. I'm not wearing makeup today. So, and it's okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> so this has been an amazing interview. We're going to go into our lightning round of questions. Question number one, what is your favorite book? Dare to Lead, Brene Brown. Love it. What networking or community group do you love the most? My foster group. There's a Facebook group for the foster community and it's adorable and I love it. <laughs> I know. Who doesn't love puppies? I feel like I need to come visit you just for a puppy dose. <laughs> They are for up for adoption, just in case you want one. <laughs> I, I do, I do, for everyone that's listening to this podcast, I do feel, feel like I found a life hack with fostering puppies because everyone says, Oh, I wish I could just rent a puppy. That's exactly what fostering is, is you get to rent a puppy for you know a few weeks and then they go away. So if anyone says, Oh, I'm not ready to commit to owning a dog, fostering, I recommend it. That is a great pro tip. What is one piece of advice you would share with the world today? Deep breaths. And what is the legacy you wish to leave behind? Oh, that's such a great question. I just want people to think that I made an impact and that I left their life a little bit better than had I not been around. Beautiful. All right. So this has been an amazing interview with Crystal at Levitate and Real Magic. They are currently hiring. We are recording this in April and this is coming live in October. So you can check out their website, which will be in the show notes if that is still the case, which because they're growing like hotcakes probably will be. But also to follow Crystal, I have her LinkedIn connection as well as her twiddle, Twitter, twiddle, <laughs> Twitter handle. <laughs> so you can follow her and follow up with any questions in case you're super inspired about fostering or any of her stories that she shared today. And with that, thank you so much, Crystal. Anything you'd like to add for our listeners before we wrap up? No, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I hope that everyone got something good out of this. And if you are interested in working at Levitate and joining the culture crew, please feel free to reach out to me directly. I would love to hear from you. Amazing. All right. Thank you, listeners. We'll see you on the next episode. So how can Inspiration Contagion help you today? There are three ways. Number one, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the podcast listener of your choice so that you get newly released weekly interviews with transformational leaders from all around the world. They're going to provide practical, actionable tips for you that you can take and implement today. Number two, if you have a burning problem or you're having some challenges, but you're not really sure where to start. So go ahead and visit hollyjeanjackson.com forward slash events and find an event online that suits your needs so you can begin exploring and learning more today. Number three, if you have a specific issue or challenge you're facing today, a burning issue that you need to resolve right now. Perhaps you're trying to build your guilt-free business. Perhaps you're trying to build an online product or you're facing some challenges with technology in your business. You're trying to scale to that next level. Regardless of what the challenge is, go to hollyjeanjackson.com and then visit the services section 
and schedule an appointment. I love to offer my listeners a complimentary coaching call so we can figure out and get to the bottom of your problem and explore if coaching is a good fit for you. Those are the three ways Inspiration Contagion can help you today. Remember, nothing changes without action. So be sure to take action today. Thank you for joining the show today. I hope you were inspired. More importantly, I hope you take action. What is one thing you can do in this moment that will inspire someone? Without action, nothing changes. Be the change you wish to see in the world. If this show truly inspired you, we ask that you share it through your network. Help us spread the light and inspiration in the world. I look forward to seeing you here next week.